This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. All right. You're probably very curious about why in the world I have a table on stage, right? Some of you, some of you are dreaming about moments that you ate at the keg and uh, had your steak medium well, and it was awesome. Um, I wanted to start this series this morning by saying uh, there's moments in life that, you know, once upon a time, this whole concept is looking back and remembering moments and remembering stories that affected our lives and and sometimes positive and sometimes negative. But the cool thing about Once Upon a Time is that we automatically connect it to fairy tales. We connect it to something that is kind of a, a neat story. For some of us, that may be certain movies we've seen. Uh, some of us are part of the uh, Princess Bride fan club. You know, things like that. Um, you know, it's totally inconceivable that you'd be completely a part of that movie fan club. But you know what? I believe you are. And... Um, God's favorite movie, he told me once. I just can't help myself, you know? And so I want to, you know, just encourage you with that. But when I was a kid, I remember certain things. There we go. I remember certain things when I was a kid. And if I were to put two things together for a second, if I could get you to think back to your childhood, and I want you to think about a significant time in your childhood where you had uh, family around you and you had a genuine sense of fellowship, of community, of connecting, I want you to think for a second what that moment was. Picture it in your mind for a second. Some of you are having a hard time going back that far. Some of you are thinking to yourself, there's too many memories back there that I don't want to remember. Well, can I share a story with you this morning? When I was a kid, one of my favorite uh, uh, kind of moments as a family with mealtime was the Jeff's Christmas get-togethers. How many ever had a big family get-together and you always went to the same person's house? And so for us, we went to Grandma D's, which was my dad's mom. And uh, we went there every year. All the cousins came together. All the aunts and uncles came together. And um, for those of you that probably... Uh, will remember this, and maybe you did the same thing, that we had a very significantly large table that all the adults sat at. And then a little tiny table that's about this high that all the kids sat at. And my whole life's goal when I was five years old was to get to that big adult table as fast as I could. I would crawl up the side. I would... I would crawl on my mother's lap, I would literally steal food from the table, bring it back to my table and say, hey, you're missing stuff on your table, it's over here. Our table's better in hopes that they would leave their table, come over, and I could grab their seat. I had it all thought out. It was a brilliant plan. The problem was is that I always wanted something different. At times, I couldn't be satisfied with the table that I was at because I wanted something different. Something what I perceive to be as better. And for me, I, I learned that there was something very significant in my life as a child about tables. I have a table on, on stage today today because I'm literally going to use this as an illustration through my entire message. But interestingly enough, there was significance in the Bible about tables. Tables were a place of fellowship uh, they were a, a place of communion. They were a place of feasts and food. We like that part. 
but they were also a place of nourishment and strength. They represented a lot of things. The Bible is full of stories about tables. Can I say this morning, once upon a time, there was a table called the table of showbread. It was a table just outside of the Holy of Holies in the, in the tabernacle of Moses. It was made of acacia wood, which was a very specific wood. Why? Because it was so hard, it would never decay. Decay was something that it, could, it couldn't happen to that wood. That's why they had different things connected uh, in the tabernacle that were used only with acacia wood. The poles that carried the, tabernacle, or the, uh, the uh, Ark of the Covenant were made of acacia wood. Why? Because they wanted it to stand the test of time. It was a wood that didn't decay. It was stronger than oak. It was incredibly strong. But what was interesting about the table of showbread is not only was it made of acacia wood, the strongest wood, but it was literally covered in pure gold. Now there's a table. And if you guys have one like that, if you do, invite me over because I'm coming over soon. But it was interesting that the showbread, this concept of the table of showbread, it literally meant the bread of God's presence. Fast forward a number of years, and once upon a time there was a table in an upper room where Jesus sat the night before he was going to die and he sat with his disciples and he he literally broke bread with the Matthew 26 26 says while they were eating Jesus took bread and he declared himself the bread of life born in a city called Bethlehem which means the place of bread Jesus took bread gave thanks and broke it and gave to his disciples saying take and eat this is my body. Why was this table significant? Because it was a table of brokenness. It was a table that Jesus himself said, I will be broken for you so that you can get back to my father's table and have fellowship with me forever and ever and ever and ever for all eternity. That table is important. But interestingly enough, there's another once upon a time moment But what's interesting is it's not in the past, it's a back to the future moment. And years ahead, there's a table called the table of the wedding feast of Christ, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it's literally this moment where the church eats with their master, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, at this banqueting table after we die. We all come together. Tables are important. Revelation 19.6-9 says, Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of a mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. I always think to myself, whenever I read that, can you imagine if our worship experiences were like that? That the body of Christ, millions upon millions upon millions of people that are alive now and those that have gone before us over the last you know, number of hundreds and thousands of years, would all be together worshiping Jesus with one heart, with one accord, with one sound, with one voice. Could you imagine the roar that would come from that place? I can. I hear it every day with five children. (laughs) Kidding. But it goes on, it says, Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us... Be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb. And his bride has prepared herself. Who's the bride? We, the church, are the bride of Christ. So she has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. For the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast 
of the Lamb. And he added, these are true words that come from God. Can I say this morning, God is putting out an invitation to you. Not just to take from the crumbs that fall off the table, but to sit at the table and to dine with him every single day. When we started planning and preparing Impact Church, and we were praying about it for three years and uh, before we moved here, we started dreaming of a church that would understand the presence of God. We started dreaming of a church that would understand what it meant to dine at God's table, to understand their identity in the Father, that they are a son and a daughter of Christ. We started to dream all of these things, and we, we literally uh, saw what we're seeing today. That's what we believe. What's interesting with these three tables is there was a table under the Old Covenant, the book of Exodus. There was a table that ushered in the New Covenant in the upper room. And there was a table that celebrates the wedding of Jesus and his bride. Tables are significant. Can I say this morning, something that Sandra and I have realized, we love hospitality. So I'm sure most of you have been in our house at this point. If you haven't, you'll be the next one coming. So just get ready. Um, But we love opening our house to having people come in, whether that's a pastor's potluck, whether that's just a night for tea and sticky cake or whatever it is that we got to do. I like tea and sticky cake. It's a good thing. Um, Sometimes it's our connect group. Sometimes it's just a a leadership meeting. Sometimes it's a barbecue just because we like eating. It doesn't matter. We love having people over. And here's what we've realized throughout the years. It's one thing to have someone come to your front door. You open your door and you have a conversation very briefly at the the front door for about five or ten minutes, maybe even get into a certain topic, and you talk for 20 minutes. That's one thing. It's a whole other thing to invite someone in for tea. But you know what still happens with tea? You can still clean up the one room, hide all the other stuff in another room, and make it look like your house is all together. But can I say this morning, it is a whole nother ball game when you have someone over for a meal. Especially if you have children. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? And sometimes the fathers are even worse. Right? Amen, right? I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But here's what I want you to understand. There's a vulnerability that happens when we have someone come over for dinner that you never get when someone knocks on your front door. And at times you can avoid when you just have someone over for tea in the room that you've already cleaned and everything's fine. And guess what most people do with tea and dessert? They have it after 8 or 8.30 so that the kids are in bed. So that there's going to be no disturbance of the force that day. Do you know what I'm saying? So we can just literally have someone over at our convenience. But food is different. Dinner is different. Why? Because now you've got to make a mess. There's a mess that has to happen in order to get the meal out there. There's a kitchen that's a disaster zone. You need to call people in with hazmat suits to clean up after. Do you know what I'm saying? And that's what happens with dinner. How many know that when you're eating dinner, messes are created? Things drop on the floor. Things are stuck to the side of your face and your spouse is trying desperately to get across to you. Honey, do one of those. Quickly, you are embarrassing. And then what happens when your children start to throw food at the other kid because dad was doing it the night before with his barbecue food. But dad, you did it. 
Must be okay. And I go, only when it's just us here, no one else. We don't throw food up in the air and catch it with our mouth when we have guests over. Only when it's just us. Okay. Well, Dad, that wasn't in the rule book. We're adding another section to the rule book. Things to do when no one's looking. Things to do when people that shouldn't be seeing it are here. Right? But there's a vulnerability. Can I say this morning, church is just like that. Church is an invitation to a table. Church is about having everyone at the table. But what happens when some people throw food? What happens if maybe somebody is, is not appreciating the meal that's been cooked? We need to add more salt because that's very bland. Oof. What do we do about that? Well, I have a couple of thoughts this morning. Church is about vulnerability. Having someone over to your house for dinner is about vulnerability. How many have ever had someone where you invite them over for dinner and they overstay their welcome? <laughs> and then you're trying to think, you know, every creative way you can to say, well, you know, you know, we got to get up early for you know, work in the morning, and, uh, you know, it's been awesome having you. They're like, oh, yeah, did I tell you this story about such and such? I'm like, uh, yeah, I think so. At some point in the history of my life, I think I may have heard something about that. Oh, you got five minutes? Of course, an hour later, Right? But there's a vulnerable place. But can I speak to you this morning from a very personal place? Vulnerable people are a powerful people because they know they can't figure it out on their own. A vulnerable people are a dangerous people to the enemy because they understand the hand of God in their life. We've been pressured in our culture to have everything just perfect. Come over to our house and see perfection so that when you go home, you get all upset because your house isn't as perfect as the person we just saw. Our kids are not perfect. Our, our house is not perfect. And we should have painted that side of that room a long time ago, but we haven't done it yet. Let's never show anybody that room. It's an embarrassment. Can I say this morning, church is just like that. Impact church is just like that. Why? Because we don't have angels sitting at the table. They're behind us supporting us. But you know what we have? People. People that have gone through stuff that is hard. People that have gone through things that are broken and difficult People that are going through things right now that are broken and difficult. You know, one of the things that really turned me off when I grew up in church, if I can be honest this morning, is this, how are you doing today? Oh, bless God, everything's awesome. Hallelujah. And I remember looking at them going, you are lying like a dog. Now, do we, believe, do, do we believe that we need to be careful of our confession? Absolutely. So you shouldn't be struggling for years and years and years on end. Right? We want to see you get healed and change your confession. Absolutely. But there's an authenticity about Jesus 
there was a vulnerability about Jesus that night. He took bread and passed around that cup with his disciples. There was a vulnerability. And the church is at its best when it's vulnerable, but understanding the source that it's being plugged into. The church is at its best. Amen? I don't know if you're tracking with me this morning. But there's four different, um, four different chairs here, as you guys can see. I'm going to get to that in a second. But I want to say, um, what do we do when a guest comes to our house? Maybe someone we don't know very well, so it's not someone you know and that you've known for a long time. But when a guest comes to your house for the first time, what do we do? Well, I'll tell you some of the things that I think about. We think about how do we treat them. We think about what we say to them and how we say things to them. We think about how we act around them. And can I say this morning, not that the whole focus of your life is on the guest, but the reality is, is there's, a, there's a focus that happens toward a guest that is different in other situations. Why? We want them to make them feel special. We want them to feel loved. We want them to feel like they have a place here at this table. So how do we, as a church, deal with that? Can I say something this morning that may, you may not agree with it, and I'm okay if you disagree, but I am convinced that the greatest connection point for any person coming to any church on the planet is not how funny the pastor's jokes are, although every once in a while I come up with some good ones. It's not how good the worship is, and it's not how awesome the pre-service prayer is, although all of that's important. They make up their mind in the first three minutes they come in the door. So you know who our superstars are for our church? Our guest services, our front door person, our welcome center person, and our ushers, our cafe people, our person on kids' check-in. They make or break this church. Why? Because they can draw people in. I want to say, if you're on the guest service team, thank you. You literally are the first point of connection. You are the first impression. You are what literally makes this person sitting at this chair feel like this could be potentially their home. Guest services are so key. That's just why we've done stuff like the pastor's potluck and the open house and different things. Why? We want people to feel connected. We want them to feel like they have a special place in this church and that that place is significant. But you know what? There's another thing that's significant about what's at the table, not just the four chairs, but there is food. How many like food? Right? Amen. Nathan, you know what I'm saying, right? Okay, that's good. I like you already. That's good. But we got a lot of stuff up here to be served. Some of that stuff is our vision. You can see it behind us. It's literally to live like Jesus and to love like Jesus. We believe, you can put that up there, Somi, if you want. There's three things that we have always talked about that literally accentuate and emphasize that's, that literal lifestyle of living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. We believe that when you encounter Christ, you encounter transformation. We believe that when you experience community, you experience connection. And when you express compassion, you are demonstrating the very heartbeat of heaven to earth. And when you do those three things consistently, we honestly believe that you will live like Jesus and love like Jesus. And we love to say for short, we live love. That's what it's all about. But there's nine core values. So there's another pot of food. That was the first pot. The second pot of food is our values. 
loving God passionately, honoring God's word, living life supernaturally, serving with excellence, creating irresistible environments, giving generously, reaching out compassionately, building church strategically, and enjoying everyday life. This is what frames what we do. If I can say it like this, when you walk in anyone's house, you can see right away what their style is, what their color schemes are, how they accent certain things. This is what it, our house looks like. It's that. That's what we always want to do. So when you come to our table, that's what we're going to serve. How many have ever complained when you're growing up, Mom, I know meat and potatoes are important, but I don't want them anymore. Give me the sour cream and onion chips. <laughs> but we know that there's certain things that are non-negotiable that always have to be at the table. These are the meat and potatoes of Christianity. Amen? There's our discipleship process. That's another pot. And it's literally our connect groups, our equip classes, our encounter retreats, many other things, but those are the three I wanted to focus on. There's our ministries. There's another pot, four pots on the table. Our ministries, our Ignite Youth, our Impact, uh, our impact Kids, our uh, Young Adults, our Radiant Women and Thrive Men, our Worship and Prayer, our Missions and Outreach, all of those things are food that is at the table. Honestly, something that you can partake of any time. It's like our appetizers, our main course, our dessert, and our refreshments. It's all there, all four. It's all on the table. But there's four different people that are seated at this table. And I'm going to use four people, and I'm going to try to get people that aren't so shy so you can have fun with me. Lisa. Yeah, you can remove me from your will after this morning. I'm going to have Lisa sit right here. And you can kind of turn your chair around so everyone can see you. This is the first person that has the potential to connect to the church. You can just hold that up. That's the curious. It's the people that are curious about the meal. You can flip that around and just see, this is literally what people who are curious are all about. They have a curiosity with what's being served. So they may have a, a connection point through an outreach, and they go, I love this Hands of Hope. Can I be a part of this church? I love what you do in the city. Some people may come in and go, wow, I just love the music. This music is just awesome. I feel so encouraged and inspired, and I just want to serve God. And you come out of that and you go, wow. Some of you may be connected to Ignite Youth and you go, I just love this youth group. I love these, God, these leaders. I love these kids. I love being a part of it. They're curious, but they're curious in the fact that they're connected to the meals. There's a second person here, Joel. I'm going to get you. Oh, he's gone. He's with kids. Uh, Rachel, I'm going to grab you because Jeff would shoot me. So <laughs> Rachel's going to hide. I'm going to get you to hide. She's going to be at the second chair, and it's literally the people that are connected. But you know what's interesting about connected people? You know who, what they're connected to? You can just flip that around and show everyone. They're connected to ministries. So they have not just a draw to what is being served, but they have a draw to a specific ministry. There's something in the church that goes on that they feel a connection point to. Well, there's a third group of people, Pastor Ray, I'm going to grab you. They're called the connected, and you're going to be right back there. And they are connected not just to the meal that's being served or to the ministries, but they are connected to, or sorry, committed. That's what I meant. They are committed to the mission. It's different. It's a different, ta it's a different seat at the table. Not just a curious person connected to a meal. Not just a uh, connected person connected to a ministry. Not just a committed person now committed to the mission. But there's a fourth one. Richard, I'm going to pick on you. They are catalysts. And they're not just worried about what's going on around them, but they are connected to 
the movement. They see things beyond themselves. They see the future like no one's business. And I want to be respectful here, so don't get mad at me, okay? But people that are usually at this table, or this chair here, are usually sometimes either younger in the Lord, or maybe new to Christianity. New so their focus, for the most part, and please don't throw things at me, is for themselves. So they're, trying, they're looking for what they can get. Connected people love the ministries, but there's an element of, uh, of looking to get fed, that kind of dynamic, that is still within the first two chairs. They're still kind of focused on themselves. The biggest transition for people within a church is to get around that corner and make the long-distance trek down to here, where it's no longer about the ministries and the meals that are always being fed, but it's like, man, I'm all in with the mission of this church. What can I do? Changes everything. And then those people usually gather together long enough. They all invite each other, each other over for barbecues. And at the end of a three-hour barbecue at their house, they start dreaming about the future. And they switch into this movement phase where they're like, well, what can we do with Ignite Youth? If we did this, and then we could reach the city, and we could reach these kids in this, in this class. Scott and Carling, Jeff and Rachel have been dreaming about things with Ignite Youth. And guess what happened as a result of it? They are now in high schools in the city every single week ministering to kids in the high schools. As of this, or next week or this week? This week. As of this week, they're going to be starting at Sydenham High School. So keep them in prayer. It's awesome. But here's what's interesting about these chairs. You know what often happens? People that are curious that no longer like the meal, sometimes they go, you know what? I'm going to go try a meal somewhere else. And we go, no problem. As long as you go to a table that serves meals. Hint, hint. Okay, all right. There we go. People that are disconnected potentially from ministries. Here's what happens with people that feel disconnected from ministries. How do I know this? Because I am one. I used to have this struggle all the time. When we don't feel like we have a place of responsibility or relationship, we disconnect. And then guess what happens with people that struggle with that? Thankfully, I'm not going to throw everything off the table. <laughs> But they put in leaves. Not Toronto Maple Leaves. But they put in leaves. Why? In order to create distance. They want to keep adding leaves so that there's distance. But the reality is, is the di more distant they get, the more disconnected they are from the meal. They cannot reach the meal. How many know that one of the issues of children that are trying to eat, and we've seen this all the time because we've got five kids at different ages, is you, know, you have to get booster seats and different things so that Abby can actually reach the food so she can eat, right? Because we want to see them eat. And this is the problem sometimes with, thank you, um, with that is we feel disconnected. So there's a very significant reason why everyone is sitting here. Now, I'm going to get you guys to do something for me. I want you to sit as if you're at the dinner table. So face in. And I want you to track with me for a second. So I'm going to start with Lisa. So Lisa's the curious. She's checking things out. And here's an interesting effect that these four chairs have. Lisa always sees the committed, but their ear is closer to the catalyst and the connected. Why? Why is that important? Why do they need to see the committed? Why? Because it's important for them to understand how to live a mission. How many know that anything connected to an idea, the passion and the interest in an idea fades over time? Happens all the time. 
And in our culture, it's worse and worse and worse. So the only way that they're going to truly understand how to really live for God in that context is their eyes have to be on not just connect, not connected people, and not even necessarily on catalysts, because sometimes catalysts will scare them. They have to see the committed that are believing in a mission. But they need to hear the connected. Why? So they understand how to plug in. And they need to hear the catalyst. Why? Because they need to hear the stories of transformation. Jesus' story changing our story. Amen? The second person there is Rachel, and she's the, uh, the connected person, and she has to see the catalysts and have the curious and the committed their ear. They're listening to those two people. Why? Why do they need to see the catalyst? Why? Because at this particular stage, at this particular church and ch- or table or chair in church life is where hardship happens. And a catalyst will show them by their actions how to overcome. Because that's all they do is overcome. You, oh, we, don't, we can't reach the city. Oh, yeah? Well, well, let's start a movement. Let's do it anyway. Well, they said we can't do it. Who cares what they said? Who cares what they say? Jesus, what do you say? Do it. Sounds good. We don't have the resources. I'll provide. Sounds good. They come into it thinking everything's going to be okay. Why? Because it's not up to us to make it happen. It's simply us to have something in our hearts that says, man, we're going to start a movement and no one's going to hold us back. Why do they need to hear the curious? Because they have to remind themselves that church is not about them. Connected people have to hear the cries of the curious. They have to learn how to speak into the questions of the curious. They also need to hear the committed. Why? To know the potential of every individual in Christ that is on mission. Oh, change the world. The third is Pastor Ray back there. She is the committed. She has to see the curious, and hear the connected and the catalyst. Why does she need to see the curious? Can I, I, <laughs> I have some creative license in being very honest for a second. The longer we're around church, the more unrelatable we are to everyone who's not in church. How are you doing today? Oh, bless God, highly favored of the Lord. Woo, Jesus, so oh, glory be to God. And we look at that and we go, uh, What's he smoking, bro? <laughs> you know, that's what we think. We're not saying it out loud, but we're thinking it. And then we got to go home after and say, Lord Jesus, I repent for thinking that, you know, whatever. But why is it so important that Pastor Ray at that committed chair has to look at Lisa, who is curious, but doesn't know how to do church, doesn't know how to play the game. Not that it is, but sometimes people feel that way. They need to see them to remind themselves of how to relate and how to speak to those that don't know Christ. Can I say this morning, we are in a post-Christian nation. And I'm not saying that as a prophesying doomsday, but I'm saying that to understand the reality of those that are out there right now. They don't have a Judeo-Christian foundation. I am 42, and I am it. Everybody under me does not, did not grow up in Sunday school. They did not grow up in church, going to church every way. When I was the age that I was, they had studies back in the early 70s, and they had studies that said 70% of people in, the, in Canada were connected to church somehow. 
Do you know what the rate is today? 14%. And that's just saying some sort of commitment, some sort of connection. It may even be twice a year for Christmas and Easter. 14%. We need to hear the connected. Why? Because if I can be honest, this is the chair that struggles the most. These people are excited. These people are so excited about the mission. These people are crazy. <laughs> These are the people that walk down their hallway at work and say, yeah, I know that person's uh, just got a bad report, but we're going to go lay hands on them and we're going to drag them to Jesus right now, and I don't care if they want to come or not. And then the pastor camera has come in. No, it's going to be okay. There's a different way to do that. Let's, let's just make them feel all warm and fuzzy, right? But this is key. It's key with committed people that they hear the connected. Why? So that they hear the needs. I want to say very quickly, that doesn't mean they're needy. It means they have needs and they don't know how to deal with it. And they are struggling. How do I know? Because I sat at that chair for 20 years. Struggling. To understand, God, why is everything so hard? Why don't I ever just get it? Why can't you just, like, osmosis something? Just slide it in. I couldn't. And when we started this church, I said, God, we want to be a church for the hurting. For the wounded, I want this church to be a mass unit for people that don't understand God and don't understand the potential of what can happen when Jesus' story changes theirs. That's why. Why do they need to hear a catalyst? Why does Pastor Ray need to hear a catalyst? To remind them that every battle is worth fighting because it's the, for the sake of the kingdom. We tracking. The fourth group is Richard. We'll just call him Crazy Richard. Better than Little Richard. Although, although I would love to see an impression. Maybe after church. Okay. All right. All right. All right. All right. The catalyst. The catalyst must see the connected, but hear the curious and hear the committed. Why? Why do they need to see the connected? Can I say this morning, the downfall of every catalyst is that they think too big. And in the process of thinking too big, they don't know how to care for this. So this is a church many times. If we're going to grow bigger, we need to first grow smaller. That's why connect groups are so important. What do I mean by that? I'm not saying in numbers. What I'm saying is, is in the way we do church. If we just want to be a thousand-member church and then, you know, we just have the Sunday show, because that's, that's what I grew up on, just do the Sunday show, how many know that you can come there and be there for years and no one ever know you? No one know your name. No one know your kids' names. No one knows that Nathan is my favorite new friend and he's now just been added to my will. You know, things like that. Like, that's important information that you got to add in, right? I, it's just key, right? You know, you find out very quickly um, who your friends are. You know what I'm saying? That was good, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. 
But they need to see the need to connect people. Apostolic leaders are great leaders, but sometimes they're the most dangerous leaders for churches because they don't understand the value of connection. They only understand the value of an idea. Can I say at the end of the day, church will always be about people. We don't serve programs. We serve people. That is what it's all about. Why do they need to hear the curious? To know if the same recipe that they've been serving over and over again is missing something. Because a curious person will tell them, this doesn't taste very good. Really? Oh, well, we've done that for years. Well, you haven't obviously checked in years. Because what you're feeding the curious people is not good. It's very bleh. It's like meh, as you saw the emoji movie. Meh, you know. Sorry, I see too many kids' movies. The other person they have to hear is the committed. Why? Because the committed know the state of the family. Catalysts are too disconnected. Committed know the state of the family. They know the state of the flock. Amen? You guys tracking with me? I'm going a little bit over, but you guys can love me and forgive me later. I want to end with a parable. Because this whole series, once upon a time, is going to be drawing in nine different parables that Jesus told and why he said that. What do we do as a church with this table concept? Well, Luke 14, verses 15 to 23, and some of you can track with me there. One of those at the table with Jesus. Say, at the table with Jesus. Can I say, when you're at the table with Jesus, this is a good thing. That's a good choice. When he heard these things and said to him, blessed are the people who will share in the meal in God's kingdom. Jesus said to him, a man gave a big banquet and invited many people. Invited many people. Invited many people. We good? Okay. When it was time to eat, the man sent his servant to tell the guests, come, everything is ready. But all the guests made excuses. The first one said, I have just bought a field and I must go look at it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen, and I must go try them out. They must have bought a new weed. You know what I'm saying? I'll be back in a couple days. I'm going to go to my man cave. Okay. Uh, then the other one said, um, please excuse me. My third person said, I got, just got married, and I can't come. So the servant returned and told his master what had happened. Then the master became angry and said, go at once into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Bring the broken. Later the servant said to him, Master, I did what you commanded, but we still have room. The master said to the servant, Go out to the roads and the country lanes and urge the people there to come. One version says, Compel them to come. I looked up that word urge or compel, and it literally means this. To do with a sense of urgency. So that my house will be full. Can I say this morning... Some people come and try out a meal. Then they go somewhere else and try another meal at some other table. Some people come for a little bit, try more meals. Some people get involved in ministries. Some people get involved in, in, in different things. People come, people go. But what's God saying to us today? God is saying we have a table that is full of Jesus' food for humanity. And the moment that a chair becomes empty, let's fill it. Let's invite. Let's go out there. Let's get the broken, the lame, the wounded. Let's get these people. Why? Because there's a message, and there's a food, and there's a ministry, and there's a mission, and there's a movement that is beyond us.
that is absolutely beyond us. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com. 